Good day, y'all. Good morning. Almost afternoon. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew, please. Chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, as we are in part two of our sermon series, Words Matter, we see two stories that illustrate the power of words. Matthew chapter 16 in two stories back to back uh, paints a picture of just how much our words matter for good or for evil. How, how these two lips and our one tongue can go from good to bad in just a matter of moments. Matthew chapter 16, and I'll begin in verse 13, in part two of our series, Words Matter. But before we do that, let's pray again. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you for your grace. We do pray as we just heard played that you lead us, Lord. Lead us in this sermon. Lead us in this time together. In your name, amen. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And then they began to use their words. They began to speak. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? Not who do others say that I am, but now who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, on this truth that you just stated, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Peter, with his, his two lips and his one tongue, speaks words that are labeled by Jesus as the words that speak the very foundation of this church. The foundation of, of Christianity is, is in these words, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he's the son of the living God. There'd be no reason for us without this truth. And, and Peter speaks that truth. And we know these words. We understand these words 2,000 years later very well. But, but, but understand that in this moment, in this space and time, that these words were courageous. They were courageous. They were, they were bold. They were, they were words that were manifested out of a, a deep faith. They were revolutionary words. But then just 30 seconds later, maybe not 30 seconds, but literally the next story in the Bible. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And then Peter again, Peter again begins to use his two lips and his one tongue to speak. And the Bible tells us that Peter began to rebuke Jesus, to scold Jesus to tell him, never, Lord, shall you do this. This shall never happen to you. And then verse 23 of chapter 16, Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things that concern God, but merely human 
concerns. Two stories back to back that illustrate just how much words matter. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21 says that, that the tongue has the power of life and the power of death in it. The tongue, the words we speak, has the power of life and the power of death in it. In, in Peter's first answer, in his, who do you say that I am? He spoke words that spoke to the truth that, that all life exists in Jesus because of Jesus. And in his second answer, or in his second words, in the second story, in his second words, he spoke words that were, were words of death. There are words that actually Satan has been trying to convince the universe to believe for ages that, that God doesn't really love you, that Jesus doesn't really love you, that Jesus doesn't, didn't really die for you, that that's all just a, a story, a fable, whatever it may be. Our words matter. There are, of course, neutral words. There are words that we speak that are, that are neutral. If you drive through um, a Taco Bell or Taco Bell just up the road and you order a bean burrito, as long as you don't order too many of them, that's probably neutral words, right? That's okay. Those are neutral words. But, but there are many words that we speak that are not neutral. Out of the 7,000 words that on average we speak each day, um, studies show that, that ladies speak a few more words by around 10,000 a day <laughs> than men. Uh, my wife would tell you, though, not in our home. Uh, she will tell you there is a preacher and he talks all the time everywhere. But, but out of the 7,000 words combined as humanity, we speak on average each day. How many of these words that we speak, how many of the words that you speak, that I speak, are, are words unto life? Words that would be affirmed by Jesus as foundational words to who he is? And how many of the words that we speak are, are words unto death that that Jesus would say, these don't come from me, but they come from Satan. How many words of our words are good and how many of our words are bad? And how do we know which are which? Well, the first thing we have to understand is, is where actually our words come from, the motivation behind our words. This, this begins to help us to, to recognize which words we speak are from God and which words we speak are, are, are not from God. And, and, in Matthew chapter 16, this is illustrated, the motivation behind these words. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 17, Peter has just declared that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but, but rather these words were revealed to you by my Father who is in heaven. So words that are, words that are, 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 are for the glory and honor of God, the motivation is actually never something within ourselves. It's something that comes from God. It comes from God, and we're going to touch on how that happens in just a few moments. On the other hand, the words that are about important things and important matters that are, are from ourselves, just out of our own motivation and our own human nature, are words that are really from Satan. This is what Jesus says in verse 23. When Peter said to him, stop saying this, Jesus, you're upsetting people. Don't, don't talk about dying. This is upsetting to people. Jesus turned and said to 
Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. And then he said this, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. In other words, when, when, when we're speaking words that are only out of our own selfish human motivation, our own selfish human motivation, then, then these words are not words that are unto life, glorifying to God. Now, I think most of us, I would say that most of us at our core, if we were really honest, most of us at our core recognize when we're speaking words that are profitable for God. And most of us understand when we're speaking words that are not profitable for God. But let's just be reminded by the Bible. And I'll quickly go to two different books of the Bible. First, I want to invite you to turn to Colossians chapter three, the book of Colossians chapter three, if you go through the gospels and then Acts, Romans, first, second Corinthians. And of course, how I always remember it, go eat pizza, Chad. So Colossians is Chad. Go eat pizza, Chad. Colossians, that's how I remember it. Colossians chapter three. We read in Colossians chapter three, Paul has been talking to a group of believers like us. He's been talking to a church. He's been writing to a church and he's, he's telling them, this is how you should live. And he tells them, you are children of God. You should live as children of God. Your lives are no longer your own, but your life now appears in the glory of Christ. And then he says in verse five, so therefore put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And, and Paul begins to list various things that belong to our earthly nature. And then down in, in, uh, in verse nine or in verse eight, sorry, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. And he lists things that almost all of these things have, have their outflow from our mouths. He said, put to death, rid of all yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Verse nine, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with his practices and have put on the new self. All these things that are listed in this text usually are expressed, our anger, our malice, our, our, our slander, of course, that is our, our words, whether spoken or, or typed. All of these things are, are things that come from our mouth. They are words that we use. Now, I won't ask any of us to raise your hands. I won't ask any of you to raise your hands, but, but, but I would ask us to think in our own hearts. How many of the words of our average 7,000 words did we use this week or that we typed out on a keyboard or in a text message that were more about the human concerns rather than being divinely led words from God? I could tell you probably multiple stories of my week in which even this week I, I was not speaking out of God's concerns, but out of my own human concerns. And maybe some of you can as well. But how do we, how do we then know what words we are to use? Well, also in Colossians chapter four, in Colossians chapter four and verse two, Paul continuing to write and also continuing to write about what we speak and the words that we use. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. The very first section of this little portion, 
Three times Paul has referenced or called or appealed to God's people to pray. Then he continues on. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. As I mentioned, the first three references in this passage are for prayer. If we want to be If we want to be more sure that our non-neutral words are from God and not from Satan, a good place to start is by beginning to use more and more of our words in prayer. In fact, if you you struggle with the first list, anger towards someone, malice towards someone, rage towards someone, if, if, if you find yourself in little circles slandering someone or, or talking negatively about someone, which happens and we know it. If you find yourself doing these things, if you find yourself struggling with lying, if you find yourself struggling with lying, and by the way, uh, lying is, is very black and white to some people, but lying is actually a lot of nuance to it. You know, in the book of Proverbs, in the book of Proverbs chapter four and verse 24, the Bible says, keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep it, keep corrupt talk far from your lips. And we read that text probably when we've read uh, Proverbs chapter four and verse 24, keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk free from your lips. We probably think of, of you know, inappropriate jokes or, or bad language or whatever it may be. But actually this is talking about lying because because the word perversity actually means in, in, in this context, the talking about, it's talking about Uh, perversity is actually about slightly twisting and manipulating your words to intone something else. Corrupting the talk is talking about corrupting the conversation with, with putting a negative point of view onto the conversation. It's a deviation, what it's talking about here in Proverbs chapter four, verse 24, of the truth, to slightly manipulate the truth, truth to, 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 to make the truth just a little crooked. Have you ever been telling a story? Have you all ever been telling a story? And, and in, order to, in order to make yourself sound a little bit better, you've emphasized something a little bit more. And maybe to make someone else that you're, you're not too fond of, you've, you've emphasized their negative a little bit more. Don't nod your heads. They, they, we're not going to make them nod their heads either. Uh, they may smile or know this knowingly, but, but we do that, right? We, we kind of emphasize our part of the story to make us a little better, and we de-emphasize someone else's part of the story to make them a little worse. I was actually in their chaplain's office this last week, Pastor Tim Soper, and I were having a conversation, and he was talking to me about something about my sermon last week. I, I, I referenced how Jesus, when he was dealing with that, the woman caught in adultery with her sin, how, how few words he actually used. How sometimes in, in addressing people's sin, the best thing we can do is keep our mouths shut and use less words rather than, than, than more words. And how, how Jesus is our example for that. And we were talking about that. And I was telling uh, Pastor Soper that I know, I said, I know sometimes that I just have this huge problem with this. He, I told him, I, I will say something like this. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll say some, some fact and then I'll say, my suspicion is that they did this because of, 
you know, and almost nothing good follows out of it. I'll say, this is what happened. And I'll be like, my suspicion is that they did this because of, does anyone else ever, ever do that? We say, oh, person A did this. And I suspect they did this because my guess is that they acted this way because, oh, look at their kids. I would guess that their kids act this way because, you know, nothing ever good comes out of this. And we do things like that. That is perverse talk. That is a, a form of lying because we're taking a fact and then we're adding something onto it to create another scenario that we don't know if it's true or not. It's a form of lying. How do we deal with this? Well, here in Colossians 4, we're instructed to use words in a specific way to spend time praying for others, to devote ourselves to prayer and then to pray also for others. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter five and verse 44. Remember what Jesus said. If you have, if you have someone that is, that is, that is mean to you and you're angry at them, if you have someone that, that is uh, treated you wrongly and you have rage against them. If there's someone that you're tempted to, to slander, to talk bad about in another group of people, what does Jesus tell us to do? Love them and pray for those who persecute you. If you have someone that you have these feelings for, how should you talk about them? Jesus says, talk about them to me. Pray for them. Pray for them. Can I challenge you as you go home today? Because maybe all of you have an exercise in your mind right now, or a person right now in your mind. In fact, now that I just said that, you do have a person in your mind that you don't like that much or maybe that you talk about a little too much. I see some of you smiling. You know who it is right now. Don't look to the left or right of you because it might be them. Just stare at me. For some of you, it might be me. That's okay. You can stare at me. But, but what if you went home today and you just prayed, Jesus, Help me to love them. Jesus, I pray that you will bless them with all your blessings of heaven. It, it's, it becomes much harder to be negative and to talk negative about someone to someone else when you are praying for God's blessing upon them, that you're praying for God to give you love for them. Pause to pray. Do that this afternoon. Just, just do that. Write down that name this afternoon and pray for that, that person. Then continuing on in this, it says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And also then he says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. What does he mean that here? He's talking about actually the words we speak. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation, so that's all the conversations we have, our conversations be always full of grace seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. What is Paul saying here? First he says, hey, here's a good way to use your words, pray. And then he said, here's another good way to use your words, witness. Take opportunity to share with people about, about grace and about the goodness of God and about the love of Jesus. I want to tell you something, that if we were more inclined to do that, there'd be less time for us to use our words in a negative way. In fact, I don't have it in my sermon notes, but I thought about it during first service. I thought about this statement by Ellen White in which she said, if all of us were more engaged in sharing Jesus with others and caring more about the loss, she says this, all backbiting, all selfishness, all striving for power, all jealousies would cease. Imagine being a part of a church where you never wondered if someone was talking negative about you. 
Imagine being a part of a church where you knew that, that only words of affirmation were being spoke when you weren't around. Man, wouldn't that change the whole dynamic of the, the Christian community? Well, how do we do that? Well, we pray, but then, but then we, we talk to other people about Jesus. If I'm talking to other people about Jesus, I have a lot less time to use any of those words to talk about you or you to talk about me. Let your conversation be always full of grace, always full of grace, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. But it is not just more good words and less bad words. In fact, here's the thing, folks. The Bible actually takes it to a whole entirely higher level. So, so I'm not saying here, decrease the amount of bad things that you say and try to increase the, you know, I'm not asking you to try to figure out how to, to shift the scales so that you're more good and, and less bad. You know, we try to do that sometimes as Christians. I hope that like all my good things add up a little better than my bad things so I can be, you know, good enough. The, the Bible actually calls us to this higher standard, this much higher standard. And we see it in Ephesians chapter four. If you want to go back, remember, go eat pizza, Chad. So it's a second book, Ephesians chapter four and verse 29. Ephesians chapter four and verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And this is not talking about bad words, although we shouldn't say bad words. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. This is not talking about inappropriate jokes. Of course, we shouldn't make inappropriate jokes. It's talking about the things we say about others. Because listen to what it says to next. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, I don't know if you picked up on this, but this is a crazy, crazy high standard in this verse. There's two words. There are two very, very difficult words for me as a person, as a flawed, very sinful person. There are two difficult words in this passage. I don't know if you picked up on them. The two words are any and only. Any and only. These emphases don't give us a lot of room. It doesn't say talk less bad about people and try to increase the more good that you talk about people. I know English teachers, that was really poor English, but I don't think that's a sin in the Bible. I don't, I've never read that proper English. But it says, don't let any, any words that don't build others up come out of your mouth and only speak words that build others up come out of your mouth. Those two words, those two words don't give us a moment to say, hey, as I mentioned last week, I just needed to vent after we talked to someone about someone else who can't even help resolve the situation. Those two words don't give us room to to, to yell at our kids and then later say, well, if you had just obeyed me in the first place, I wouldn't have had to yell at you. They don't give us room to say, 
to our kids, well, I yelled at you because I was tired. And I, you got to understand when an adult's tired, you know, sometimes we get a short fuse. And if you just help me out when I'm tired, these are my things. You don't get to use these things. Okay. You use your own words of bad, but the any and the only of Ephesians 4, 29, don't give us room for these phrases to excuse our words, to excuse our times when we don't build others up and benefit those listening to us speak. Brothers, these words make it a very high measure, a very high standard. It's not about tipping the scales. It's about Christians not using any words that tear down anybody and only using words that elevate people and lift people up and lift up the cause of God. There's not an in-between ground there. Any, only, period. But as we see from Peter, but as we see from Peter, in one moment, we can be out of our hearts speaking words that are the foundation of faith and in the next story, be speaking words that Jesus says those words are from Satan. And yet just because there's that, that's, there's that example in the Bible doesn't give me an excuse to say, well, see, it's in the Bible, so God doesn't really expect me to live by this. The Bible calls me, it calls all of us to live by the standards of Scripture. Romans chapter 6, verse 6, at the end of that verse, tells us this. Romans chapter 6 and verse 6, it says, Do not offer any part of yourself. So that means our, our lips, our tongues, our fingers as we're typing. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. No part of ourselves should be offered as an instrument of wickedness. That includes our lips and our tongue and what flows out of us, our words. And Ephesians 4, 29, don't say any of this, only say this. Any and only are difficult words for me, a flawed, sinful, struggling human being. But here's what I've learned. Whenever I run into hard things in the Bible to say, this is the standard, and I look at my life, and I know that I can't live up to that standard, there's only one thing I know to do. There's only one thing that we can do. When we run into these things, this is how you should live, and we know that we're not living there. There's only one thing that we can do, and, and that one thing is to say, Jesus, I, I need you. I cannot do this. That is the gospel. I need you. I cannot do this. Jesus, I don't want to just tip the scales by my own power. Jesus, I want to be completely yours. I need you. And we pray, Jesus, come into my heart today. Come into my heart today. And here's what I want you to take home. And here's what all of I, I want all of you to take home. I don't want you to take home this idea, okay, I'm going to try to say less of this and I'm going to try to say more of that because you and I, we will fail. What I want you to take home with you today is, Jesus, be more in my heart today than you were yesterday. Jesus, be more in my heart today than you were yesterday. Be more in my heart this week than you were last week. That is the only way those, those scales tip. That is the only way we can live by those any and only principles. Proverbs chapter four, verse 23 says, guard your heart because out of your heart flows everything in your life. Everything in your life 
flows out of what is in your heart. Jesus in Luke chapter six and verse 45 told us that for the mouth speaks, the mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart. Why do I say what I say? It all comes down, folks. This is the truth. When we attack someone else, when we backbite, when we slander, when we act in anger, when, we, when we're critical unnecessarily, when we're critical to folks that are not, have nothing to do with the situation, it all comes down to what is in our heart. And Jesus said to Peter, the words that you speak that glorify me are about your heart right now being in tune with God in heaven. And the words that you speak that are based on your own motives and your own selfishness of man, those words are from Satan. And your heart is lending some time to him. There's not an in-between. You ordering that burrito at Taco Bell might be an in-between, but, but anything of significance that you say is either from God or it's from Satan. And the only way to have it be from God is to every day, every day, say, Jesus, come into my heart. I need you, God, to work through Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit to cleanse me. And you know what? Jesus wants to answer this prayer because it is a promise of God in Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26 in which we are promised by God that the thing that he wants to do for us is to take out our heart of stone, the heart of stone that, that causes all these words of malice and all these words that are bad and all these words that are selfish. And he says, I want to take out that heart of stone and I want to put it in your lives a heart of flesh. That's a promise from God. And the Bible says that all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. In other words, all God's promises are sure. So that tells me that I can live by the any and only principle, only if I live by the truth that all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. In other words, Jesus, come in to my heart today. So that's my challenge to you today and this week. Don't try to change your words. Don't try to outdo your good with, outdo your bad with a little bit extra good. Have you ever done that? Sometimes I sin and I think like, oh, I better do an, an extra good thing. Am I the only one that ever does that? But simply say, Jesus, into my heart. Lord Jesus, Come into our hearts, I pray, and change us that we may reflect you in this world. By the way, we talk about those outside of our church. By the way, we talk about those inside our church. By the way, we pray with passion for this church family. We pray for those that are beyond our walls. By the way, we share Jesus, your love and your grace and your mercy with others. 
Lord, may those words occupy our conversations and may you be glorified. Not because we are powerful or great, but because every day we recognize that we can only live by the any and only principle. As we say, Jesus, live in me, live in us and work through us and speak through us. This I ask and pray and I trust that your answer is yes and amen through your power and your blood. Amen.